0: Please listen carefully. Hello and welcome to episode 85 of the Telling the Story podcast. I am Matt Pearl, author of the Telling the Story blog and a reporter at NBC in Atlanta. This podcast is all about developing your voice as a journalist and developing the skills to harness that voice. We've got an incredible voice coming your way in just a minute, but first, a few requests. First, please subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher Smart Radio or Apple Podcasts and rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. If you like what you're hearing and you want others to hear it too, a kind rating is the best way to boost us in the rankings and search, so I kindly encourage that. Secondly, you can buy my book, The Solo Video Journalist, Second Edition, wherever fine books are sold. It is a how-to guide for the most in-demand job in local TV news, those who shoot and edit their own stories. We've got all new interviews and updates for the new edition. I'm hearing really nice feedback so far, so again, that is The Solo Video Journalist, Second Edition, on sale now. Well. I have seen read heard and done hundreds of stories about the COVID-19 pandemic. I don't know if any of them moved me though as much as what I just watched from the Miami Herald. Inside the COVID unit is a series of five half-hour episodes in which in which the Herald profiled ICU workers at a local hospital in the early stages of the pandemic. The person behind it is a photo and video journalist who had already produced many wonderful pieces in her young career, but with this series, she has produced a riveting and necessary masterpiece. Reshma Kirpalani, welcome to the Telling the Story podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here.
0: And we are going to get into your broader career and your journey as a journalist uh, down the line during this discussion, but I really want to start and, and focus mainly on on this series that you just released. Those of you listening, by the way, you don't need to have watched the series to appreciate this interview, but I I do recommend highly that you check it out uh, at MiamiHerald.com. It is remarkable, and again, such an important document of one of the most chaotic periods, certainly in my lifetime. Tell me, how did this idea come about?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, let's see. So um, I was working for McClatchy uh, up in DC and I was working on another documentary actually that brought me down to the panhandle of Florida and that was around March of 2020 when the entire country started to shut down. So rather than flying back up to DC, um, I asked my editor, does the Miami Herald, which McClatchy owns, does the Miami Herald need help with their COVID coverage? And we asked them and they said yes. So I came down. And I was helping the Miami Herald um, with that coverage and doing daily stories about, you know, unemployment. There were um, an unfortunate series of, of cruise ships coming back with people who w- were either sick or had passed on the ships, which was horrifying. Um, so, so a series of different stories. But of course, the entire time, the question that people were asking was, you know, what is actually going on inside the hospitals? Um, we had, you know, seen clips here and there, things on social media like pretty horrifying like posts from doctors and nurses. Um, so I was just really curious and uh, I reached out to Jackson Health System, which was one of the largest public health systems in South Florida um, and pitched them this idea about doing what originally was supposed to be one short doc uh, about healthcare workers inside um, the ICU and uh, just to showcase what was really going on, but then also, um, film them outside of the hospital to bring some breath and depth and relatability and really complete the story about like what these healthcare workers and their families were going through at this time. Uh I honestly Matt like never expected to hear back from Jackson Health. Like I wrote them cold, right? Like I wasn't even reporting in Miami before this, so they had no idea who I was. Um And they wrote me back and they were like, that sounds like a great (laughs) idea. And I think what worked in my favor is a, I had sent them a clip of my previous work and b) um, right. So the challenge immediately was like, how do we get the footage from inside the hospital? Because they weren't allowing any visitors inside the hospital. And certainly we're not going to let me and my camera inside the hospital. So the original pitch included having the staff members film inside the hospital themselves. Um, and I think that's how this sort of ended up coming together and working both on their end and on my end, because that way I would get what I needed. I wouldn't be entering the hospital. Um, and we sort of just took it from there. I started interviewing with different doctors and nurses and um, was very clear that I wanted the healthcare workers to also represent Miami. So that means like diverse. A very diverse community, um, and uh, when I found Dr. Pastevsky, and then he put me in touch with Julio Valido, I knew I'd found the right people to tell to tell the right story.
0: So I'm curious. Before we go on, there, there's so much that was interesting me interesting to me about what you just said, but I'm I'm curious about two specific things. One, when you when you say you're you wanted to do a short doc, how do you define that to The people to you're pitching it to. Because I know, especially now that there are so many different lengths of videos and and so much of it has gotten blurred. I've heard a documentary used to describe, you know, a a feature length 90 minute film and a 10 minute piece that's on a newspaper's website. So I'm curious how you define that. And the other question, which may be the, the longer question is, you talked about reaching out cold to Uh, you know, a hospital network, uh, which is phenomenal that A, you did it and then B, that they responded. I'm curious how often you are sending out pitches like that to individuals, to groups. Obviously, the pandemic was an extenuating circumstance, but you've been doing this for a while. What is your thought process and and how often are you just, you know, fishing into the water and, and just putting out some requests and hoping one of them comes through?
1: Yeah, great question. So for me, a short doc is anything under 30 minutes. Um, I don't really know how I came up with that definition. I think maybe because <laughs> like, uh, I think that's how most film festivals kind of define it. So um, when I pitched a short doc to them, that's kind of what I had in mind was something under, you know, one doc under 30 minutes. Um, obviously, that's not what it ended up being. Uh, but yeah, that was the original idea for it. Um, as far as reaching out to people cold, that's a big part of this job. I mean, you gotta love just like talking to people and like connecting with them and then trying to understand them. And um, I actually found the director of communications for Jackson Health, I found it on Instagram on a post <laughs> for uh, an account that I was following. And she happened to like respond with like, oh, like, you know, we'd love to team up with you. This is like a random post, right? Like where she responded and she included her email. And I was like, oh, I mean, I would have found it anyways, but I was like, there we go. Like, let's email this lady and see <laughs> if anything comes of it. And and it did, that's actually what started the entire thing. So um, I've done that many, many times in my career. Um, it's a big part of the job is, is sort of like doing your research beforehand. You know, if you find a story or something that seems interesting to you, you do the research beforehand and then you start making the calls. And uh, it's actually a very vital part to me of, of journalism and storytelling, because you have to report on and educate yourself about the topic before you officially start filming. Right. So um, that involves a lot of like pre-interviews and phone calls beforehand and cold emails cold calls like yeah i got very familiar with that very early on in my career and it was definitely hard at first like it's awkward and you don't know what to say and it's scary and like before you've developed the confidence to do it it's like why would anyone want to talk to me um i think what changed for me is that like when i believe in a story i believe in it so much that hopefully people can hear that in my voice when I'm like calling them cold or writing them an email Um, that I have a idea that I really believe in. That's going to be so good. And like, let's talk about it. Or like, I really want to understand what you're going through or this topic better. So like, let's talk about it. And so, yeah, that's kind of how that has worked for me.
0: There, there are two parts to the cold pitch that I have found, which, which almost seem to be in conflict with each other. One is, what you just described, that idea that, like, you, you know, you believe in this story and you are selling the, the need to get this story out there and, you know, you're, you're essentially having to convince someone that this is worth their time. But then the other part of it is having to be very clear on what will be required of this person once they commit their time to you. And in this case, that meant, you know, not just the videos within the hospital which were, you know, that's demanding in itself, and someone's got to hold a phone and, and do it, and, and that that's a big requirement. But also, for the two people specifically who you really follow the entire way through, uh, Julio and Dr. Pes- Doctor um, you know, you're you're going to their houses, you are spending time with their families, they're not just signing themselves up, they're signing their loved ones up. And, you know, you have to be clear that this is what's going to be required of you if you want to be a part of this project.
1: That's correct. And I think, um, I mean, we haven't quite talked about this yet, but one of the hardest and most delicate uh, parts of this particular series is that it m- turned into a much bigger thing than we first anticipated. So like, you know, when I first t- talked to Dr. Pastevsky and Julio, I was like, oh, maybe a month, a month and a half, like I did tell them, like, I'd like to come to your homes. Um, So it's more of a, it's a bigger investment than just, like, you getting footage from the hospital, and they understood that. But then um, certain things happened that I don't want to, I guess, give away if people haven't seen it. um, That required me to continue to film. And so we had to have those tricky conversations about, like, I need to keep filming and I need you to keep filming as well in the hospital. And um, can we please keep working together to tell the story? And I, um, there's a certain amount of luck I think involved in every story, right? Because I did find the right people to tell the right story but I also lucked out that I found people who like continued to stay invested and like understood, Clear, you know, when things were happening that like, I can't just stop filming now. Like we need to see what happens. Um, and not everyone would understand that or agree to keep participating in the project. So, uh, I think it was a combination of like, yes, you're right. Like clear, transparent, direct communication, but then also like I found the right people, you know, who are willing to stay invested and, uh, and they did. So, yeah, it worked out, I guess
0: what is striking to me particularly in the early episodes is how much we as a society just did not know about this virus and and what it was doing and how you can get it and and the medical techniques used to treat it um the nervousness about whether certain symptoms meant you had covid and you know it it, there are so many things that stood out to me about the series and there are obviously so many emotional moments, and, and we can touch on a few of them, but what is really striking about those early episodes is that those moments, even the really emotional ones, are charged with this extra bit of uncertainty. And so they're not just happening in a vacuum. They're happening at this time where we none of us knew what the timeline of this looked like or, you know, whether or not we would catch it by doing certain things. And it's really easy to forget about that now, even only a year later, because there is so much now that we know, and there's so much where we can do certain things and feel confident in them, but what your series really illuminated to me, and it's something that, you know, as I've done retrospective pieces and have gone back to those early days, it's something that, that comes back really quickly, like, oh yeah, we there was so much uncertainty and so much people just didn't know and... I'm curious how that, you know, how that played into the different stories that you were covering and how you noticed that uh, as a storyteller.
1: I mean, that's a huge part of the reason why I think documentaries like this are so important, because people do forget. Coronavirus did not exist before 2020, right? Like, who? so everyone was figuring it out. No one knew it, yeah, it was a novel virus, so no one knew anything about it or how to treat it. Treated. Everyone was trying to understand what it was. Testing was awful, and uh, so that's an essential part of the story, right? To see the trajectory of how that has changed, and I actually think that it's so interesting now that like a lot of people have told me that those early episodes are like almost shocking. I think especially when um, when Andrew was taking the high. Droxychloroquine.
0: yeah, um, yeah, which we
1: know now like is a no no. Uh, but like at that time, that's definitely something that they thought that that could possibly help. That you know, so um, yeah, I think that's part of the value of, of a of a long form series like this is that it captures the entire story from from the very beginning um, th- that we should not forget. Right. Like we shouldn't forget that when this first started it, it's it's all new, you know, it's yeah. it, it so um, so we have learned a lot and there has been a lot of change and a lot of growth. Um, but I don't think we should forget our beginnings. Right. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. The other thing, you know, we as journalists have all learned a lot about how to do our jobs and especially video journalists, how to tell stories in the last year while remaining safe. Uh, many of these details were not known to you at the time when you embarked on this. So I'm curious about, you know, your confidence and your willingness to, you know, do a bunch of indoor shoots, be around a a bunch of people who are exposed to the virus and your confidence that you could produce this series safely.
1: Yeah, Um, let's see. I'm trying to think about how to answer this without sounding like a crazy person, because I know it was like a little nuts to like, take that big of a risk. I mean, I knew it was a risk, right? Like, of course, I was wearing PPE the entire time. I was masked up. I was gloved up. I was shooting with a long lens. I was trying to stay away, you know, keep a distance from myself. And for example, the family members, when I would go film them, um, nevertheless, it was a risk and, um. I don't know. I think within the context of the entire experience, like what healthcare workers was, were going through, like was the real risk. Right. So it felt like what I was doing was like a risk, but like not as big of a deal. Like people were really putting themselves on the line for this. And like, I believed in the story. I believe in the story. And so I was willing to take the risk. Um, my biggest concern is that I live with my sister now and she is, high risk. She has asthma. Um, so I would, I, that was my, my biggest worry was like accidentally giving it. I mean, I was like very scared of that actually. I didn't, wasn't worried about me. I was worried about her. So I would come home and I would immediately throw everything I was wearing into the washing machine, scrub down, wipe down my gear before I would even like start looking at any of the media or manage any of that stuff. Um, and I definitely had a few COVID scares and they were very scary. And um, I was getting tested. When testing became more regular and available, I would get tested like once a week <laughs> just to make sure, you know. So it was, um, it was a big part of this experience that made it a lot more difficult than filming in a non-pandemic setting. Um, I think I almost forget how difficult it was actually to, because there were some moments where I really thought I had COVID-19. And again, my bigger concern was like, I can't give this to my sister. So, you know, I was getting tested. I was like wearing a mask at home, even just, you know, when I was at home because I just to be on the safe side. Um, it was a whole experience. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is the Telling the Story podcast. It. I am Matt Pearl. She is Reshma Kirpalani, video journalist and director of the Miami Herald series Inside the COVID Unit. Um, it's interesting that that you described how you know, you would come home and your big concern was your sister and, and having to take all the precautions because both of your main, main characters, uh, Julio and Dr. Bristevsky, they're making similar choices throughout the five episodes. And, you know, Julio is much more cautious in that he essentially decides he can't live with his family, uh, including his baby, and there is a scene, and, and, you know, this doesn't give the broader arc away, but there is a scene I do want to talk about here in the first episode where he comes to his house, and he's at the window, and he can't come inside, and his baby is at the window, bawling, reaching out, because the baby can't understand why, why daddy can't come in. It is brutal, and it's one of many Moments like that, there are moments that, that that capture, you know, the entire range of emotions, even even some humorous ones. There's one where uh, where Julio's waiting on the results of uh, of a COVID test, and and Dr. Bistescu plays a little game with him, and it's like it is such a take the air out of the you know the tension balloon moment. So you you just I mean I, I cannot say enough about your commitment to this project and how that showed in the way that you capture these moments. I'm curious from the inside, what insights you can provide on just how much of a commitment that required on your end to fully tell the stories of the people you profiled.
1: I mean, it was a huge commitment. I I mean, this has been my life for the last year, like eat, sleep, breathe, especially the um, production. And like when I was editing, I basically did not leave the chair I was sitting on for like months. Um and yeah, like filming um was around the clock. Like I it was exhausting. It was it was hours and hours every day for a much longer period of time than I thought it would be. Towards the end it wasn't every day per se, but like it was still long shoots. Um Originally, I was still doing like daily stories here and there when I was filming the the beginning of it, and I quickly became aware of the fact that like I can't work on anything else while working on this. And I will say that I was in a unique position where I was allowed then to turn my focus basically solely to this project um to finish it out. So uh, and I know that not everyone is in that situation in their like daily journalism jobs, so, Um, I was grateful for that because that is the type of commitment it took, you know, like um, certain scenes where they're getting results back. Like I had to just be available at any point, you know, Uh, or um, yeah, just like my life had to revolve around their life. Right. So um, it was a big, it was a huge commitment. It was really like my, my entire year was dedicated you know, to this project. And I'd say like, it has actually still been until like a week ago when the last episode ran. uh, And I finally feel like, okay, Hmm. like this might be coming to a (laughs) close.
0: You know, you talked about um, the importance of having documents like this of history, uh, you know, to be able to look back a year later on everything that was going on back then. I'm curious in the moment, I have to imagine there was some, I have to imagine there was some discussion either internally or, you know, with managers at the Herald about, you know, should we put out some of this footage? Is this, would this serve our readers and our viewers to know what's going on? Would it perhaps make them more aware and understanding of what this is doing to hospitals around both Miami and, you know? nation worldwide did those discussions happen
1: they did they did um they did happen i mean i think there was enough reporting and visual reporting by the you know miami herald staff at the time that we made the decision not to release that footage until um until the documentary came out and then always there's always a consideration that like If you release that footage ahead of time, it sort of decreases the value a little bit when you see it in the documentary. So you have to weigh both of those things. And because there was already so much great reporting happening by the Miami Herald staff, um, I guess we made the decision not to release that early and save it for the documentary.
0: And then obviously it comes out, uh, I want to say last month now. And you've been rolling out episodes. And as you said, finally, the, the last one is finally out. Um, talk about the rollout, how that was planned, uh, You know how the discussions went about what to do with all this content, whether or not to make it a you know full two-hour feature-length movie or chop it up into episodes, and how you felt like you should release it to get the maximum impact, whatever however impact is defined in, in your mind and the Herald's mind.
1: Yeah, so I know you don't want to get to the other topic until later, but it was actually <laughs> pretty much shaped by what happened in the meantime. I mean, that go is ahead, actually- go ahead. So um, at the ed- end of December, I was actually laid off from McClatchy, and um, I had McClatchy, finished- by the way,
0: owns the Miami Herald. Just for clarification. Herald.
1: I was mostly finished with filming the documentary, although, as you can imagine, like I had to film pickup shots here and there of B-roll like throughout. But um, while I was being laid off, I fought for this documentary and another documentary that I had previously been filming. Um, And and they were gracious enough to extend me for three more months to finish out this documentary the inside the COVID unit so when you ask like how was rollout uh shaped or decided it was very much shaped by the fact that I had three months to finish this and publish it and um um so what we ended up doing was sort of pegging it to the one year anniversary um of the uh first shutdown or the shutdown in Miami-Dade um which was around I guess the end of march of 2020 i think that's when the first episode published lots of dates to keep track of um right so it was sort of like an anniversary package um and then as far as like the format goes when i thought i would have more time to produce and publish this it was actually supposed to be uh a longer series but shorter episodes because as you can imagine like It's pretty unusual to have 30-minute episodes on a newspaper's website. Um, So I think, you know, we were going to go for, yeah, like shorter episodes, but a longer series, Um, and it quickly became apparent that I had a finite amount of time, and I had to figure out a format that would work for that. So um, I ended up shortening the series to five episodes. There was stuff that I cut out to accommodate that. and um and and but in order to tell the full story it ended up making each episode longer um so yeah that's kind of how that was decided
0: what's been the response
1: to the series in general Mm
0: -hmm.
1: yeah um positive really positive um pleasantly positive yeah um the hospital, the feedback has all been really positive. Um, you know, my biggest measure of success for a story is is the people who are in it, like how they respond to it um, in a way, because, you know, uh, my first loyalty is to the story and doing justice to it. And that doesn't always align with like the, you know, people's feedback, the people who are in it. But in this case, it did. And, you know, they all told me that I, did do justice to the story. I I told it accurately. I, um, we, you know, we had a live event yesterday and, and I learned that they learned things about each other through the series, which like all of this to me is like high marks of, uh, the story, achieving the goal that I set out to achieve, which was like, tell a true story, tell it honestly, tell it transparently. Um, Tell it in like a multifaceted, multi-layered way um, that is engaging, compelling, and informative. And yeah, I think the feedback so far is that that's what it did.
0: And you had moments in the series. I mean, there are tense moments. There, there is an argument that you capture on Mother's Day, which uh, you know. Again, the word I keep using is brutal because you know it, it is an essential moment of the series. And, you know, and I got to watch the um, the session that you did yesterday with, uh, you know, the main subjects of the documentary, and they all seemed very thankful, looking back, that that rawness was captured. It seemed like that was one of Dr. Pastevsky's goals uh, from the beginning, that, like, you know, that this be given to you and presented to you so that you could present it. In its entirety, in in as much of its reality, good or bad, as that, you know, as that as as could be shown, um, and I I do think, in my experience, with stories both shorter and longer, that I think when people feel like they've been represented accurately and fairly, they are more willing and okay with the. Maybe the less flattering parts of that representation, because they know it's part of a fuller picture. I, I get the sense that that's how they all felt in this case about the work that you produced.
1: I mean, the, as far as I know, yes, they I, I really <laughs> right. had moments where they were like, "God, you know, I didn't want that to be in the series or whatever." But um, I mean, that fight in particular was like something I was very sensitive to because.
0: Even just filming that had to be Even really just hard. Even
1: filming it. Like, it was such a rough time for Elizabeth and Julio. Um, I mean, I don't want to give things away, but yes, it was Mother's Day, right? And, like, talk about such a disappointing Mother's Day, you know? And um, as I mentioned yesterday, to me, the reason why it was important to show that fight is because it represented the nature of this pandemic, which is like it put a lot of people in really impossible situations where there was no right answer, right? So, you know, do you do you abandon your kids or do you potentially expose people to COVID-19? Like those that's a horrible choice. No one should ever have to make, right? And mm-hmm. that is the reality of this pandemic. Like that is, you know, when people say that healthcare workers are heroes, like It encompasses all of that, right? Um, It's it's not just when they get to work. It's before they get to work. It's after they get to work. Like it's their entire lives were affected by this. Their families' lives were affected by this. So I, it was important to show that. Um, Elizabeth mentioned yesterday that she thought she came off looking like a jerk, and I actually didn't think that at all uh, when I when I, you know, when I saw it happen, and when I included it in the series because I was like, this is such a human moment. Like there's literally like no right or wrong. I mean, and it's so unfortunate. This is absolutely the result of a pandemic. They would not be having this conversation otherwise. Um, So, so I agree. I think that I feel good that it's nice to hear that they are grateful for the series because I think to me that indicates that I did represent them accurately and fairly and therefore even capturing some of these harder moments is something they're grateful for. I, yeah, that means a lot to me.
0: I think there is a real empathy in your work and, and sometimes that can be kind of like a blessing and a curse because like empathy is, is I think, one of the most, if not the most important quality that that you can have as a storyteller, because no matter who you're telling a story on, you have to be able to, you know, try to put yourself in their position as much as possible. Try to understand what you're going through. And I think I think sometimes when that becomes second nature to you, you can almost overlook like how some how a certain uh, action or event might make that person look, because you know you understand. And I think it really co- does come across in the piece like you know there are no easy answers here there's a reason why she's upset there's a reason why julio is frustrated in that scene but yeah i I think sometimes it's like you know the probably the people themselves wonder well well well, gosh did i look bad doing that so it, it is an interesting dichotomy but again i think it speaks to the job you did that you know that it really that all of that complexity shines through this is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. She is Reshma Kirpalani, extraordinary visual journalist whose new series, Inside the COVID Unit, can be seen in full on MiamiHerald.com. So, Reshma, this final section is is aimed at young journalists. It's kind of an advice section. And, you know, we did, you, you did talk about this a little bit that, uh, you know, the reason I'm, I'm not introducing you as the Miami Herald's Reshma Kirpalani is because technically you no longer work there. And, you know, what happened to you several months ago is, you know, again, talk about complex. You fought to stay on and finish this project knowing that it would be the last thing you did for this company and and that, you know, and that they were, you know, letting you go on top of all that. It wasn't necessarily your choice to leave. Talk about just internally what that was like for you and and whether whether it was an easy decision or a difficult one to fight for this project and and want to finish it in some capacity
1: the decision to fight for the project was like a no-brainer like I was I didn't even I mean I shouldn't I when I was getting laid off um I'm sorry there's probably some background noise
0: (laughs) (laughs) that is okay
1: um while i was getting laid off honestly like my number one concern was please like you can't you just have to let me finish the project like that i mean that was my that was the most important thing to me that was like 100 percent the most important thing to me actually i as i said i was fighting for this project and another documentary that i had been filming for a long time about veterans who are dying of cancer it's a really important story that i'm still trying to save. um but yes I was I was I fought for both of those documentaries while I was being it was not it was a very easy decision it's all I cared about um the I was very grateful when like in that moment I was told like okay we'll extend you for several months I knew I would have to choose one to finish and I think that was a hard decision because I I was invested in both um the COVID doc was obviously M- more pressing in a way. Um, well, yeah, it was it was generally more pressing. And I was in Miami, so I knew I wouldn't have to like go anywhere if I needed to finish shooting. So it just honestly made the most sense to finish that one. Um, it's very stressful to produce a documentary series knowing that it's like, knowing that you're laid off <laughs> and that like there's no job after this. Um, and I kind of had to just, not worry about that while I like I couldn't let that distract me from the complicated huge task of like telling this story right like I want I didn't you know I needed to be fair to the story like me getting laid off like had nothing to do with that right so I didn't want to affect like it's um the ability to tell the story just because I was going through like personal issues and it was quite a big personal issue but Um, I was pretty clear that like, this is not going to affect the way in which I tell this story or the dedication to this story. Like they're completely unrelated in my mind. So, uh, I, I I was like full swing heart, you know, threw, threw myself into it, you know, all my heart and soul, um, producing five 30 minute episodes in three months is crazy hard. (laughs) (laughs) so hard. I worked every single day for three months. I was like, I'll just be honest with you. I was kind of miserable in some moments. Like, you know, when you're working every day for hours, like you hit some Saturdays where you're like, I just, I, 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 (laughs) someone help me. Like I, this Mm -hmm. is hard. And you just, you have to push through it. You have, and you have to have a support system that like will cheerlead you on and you have to lean on that support system. Um, which is what I did and uh, I feel very grateful for that because that really helped me get through honestly like the hardest project I've ever worked on both because of the the size of it and the complexity of it and the importance of it but also because it required like a durability and just like if I felt like I was running a marathon and I just had to cross the finish line. Um, and I did like, I crawled across the finish line. I like, it was on my hands and knees. I crawled across the finish line, but I, but I crossed it. So yeah, I made it. Mm -hmm.
0: And that's something I I wanted to ask you about too, because this obviously was a special, uh, subject, a special circumstance, uh, special in terms of the length and the amount of time you spent on it. But you know, you're no stranger to covering deep, heavy issues and, and, and it's been a hallmark of your work that I've seen, certainly, for several years. And you mentioned, you know, the, the the other documentary you were working on sounds not maybe not equally heavy, but it's in the ballpark. And I'm curious. I think so many people, wa- you know, get into this field wanting to tell important stories. And it's easy to get blindsided by the mental and emotional toll that can take on the storyteller. I'm curious what, you know... How do you sustain and how do you keep from, you know, getting too overwhelmed if that's a, you know, overwhelmed on its own, but too overwhelmed by the work that you're doing and the burden that that places on you, not just as a storyteller, but as a human being experiencing through other people's eyes, some really difficult situations.
1: I mean... The truth is I do get overwhelmed. I do get too overwhelmed, you know, like I, I don't. Yeah, I do. I'm human, you know, like. um, And sometimes I have to take breaks, you know, there was a period where I was working at the Statesman where it was just like hard story after hard story after hard story. And I was just like, oh, my God, like the next story has to be about bunnies and like just something not intense, because like this has been a lot. it was after I produced this um, story called The Talk about the conversation that African-American parents have with their children about interacting with the police and how to stay safe and survive interactions with the police. It was a really intense um, period of time. Uh, so I, I definitely get overwhelmed. I'm not, I, I, I feel like it's important to actually like admit that and, and, but I think the important thing is to not let that stop you from doing the work. Um, I think what helps me, Matt, is that the most important thing to me, what helps me in terms of finishing the stories is that the most important thing to me is the story. Like it is the most important thing to me. And I don't know why I'm like that. Who knows? But it's like the most important thing to me. So like, you know, I, certainly I have my own emotions about things and I do get overwhelmed and I do have to ask friends and, you know, family for support, but my objective is very clear the whole time that like, I'm here to like do justice to this story, tell it accurately, you know, tell, you know, all all those things that I already mentioned, tell it in a way that's compelling and informative. And um, so, so, so I think the, the, trick is not to not get overwhelmed the trick is to get overwhelmed and then get over it and like keep going you know um because i i don't know that it's possible we're humans too right like we should get affected by the stories we're telling honestly like if we don't maybe we're not in the right field like um it's why it's why we do what we do um but you're right like it is it's something i've learned over time and it is has not been easy to learn to like keep pushing through my own emotions or personal challenges or whatever they may be to keep my eye on the ball which is like telling the story like the best way I know how um and that's a skill that I've learned over time
0: Hmm. you um when we were messaging back and forth about uh setting up this podcast and um, you know, talking a little bit about the behind the scenes of the project, you were telling me about how you had been laid off and, and that whole saga, which I did not know. And you said, and I'm reading the message now, you said, so this may be the most important story I've ever told in multiple ways, both because the story is important, but also because it taught me not to give up as well. Um, obviously, many people getting into this business, at least at the start, are not taking on projects this ambitious, but for people who are just getting started in their careers and, and wanting to take lessons from that, what do you feel like is is something that young journalists can take away from the kind of things you've experienced, uh, particularly on this project, particularly in these last three months?
1: So this is something that like I've actually thought about and talked to other I guess younger journalists about i think this for me goes back to like why i got into this profession in the first place i think if you get into journalism to like win awards and like um look really good you know on the outside kind of like good luck because like it's a really hard profession and like i don't think that sustains you in this profession like Like your motive for me, like my motivation for getting into this profession is like, I guess I want to say like very sincere, and I, and I consider it like a calling. So, um, so that means I'm committed to it. I'm committed to it. Like I'm in. Like we're we're doing Hmm. this. And so there are going to be challenges, and they're going to be hard, and I'm going to have to overcome them. And. And it's not easy. I mean, I'm talking about this stuff in retrospect, but yes, in a, in a way, this is the most important st- story I've done because the challenges seemed insurmountable. I mean, at, at a certain point when I, I I had like maybe an hour heads up that I was going to get laid off before the actual call. Wow. And. The whole time during that hour, I was just like practicing how to pitch saving these documentaries huh. like that's all I cared about like um and I don't know if that makes me a little nuts maybe it does but uh like my heart is like a hundred percent in this so you know I think um yeah I think once you've committed to something like you know you'll do anything to follow through um and so um I so I think it's important to check our motivations for like why we're in this profession in the first place. And I think it's important to remind yourself of that pretty often because it's it's easy to get lost in the work and to get to get lost in the industry. Like the industry today, especially if you're working in newspapers is like very challenging, very very challenging. Um and there are lots of things you can get lost in. Um, and, but sort of having that North star of like, why am I doing this? Which for me is, is um, I think people's stories are important in a way. I think stories are like one of the most primal parts of who we are, like as a society, you know, it's it's what connects us, It what keeps us going. It's what we all have in common. All of our stories are important, like every single one of them. And they're all kind of related in my opinion. So anyway, so that's what I sort of go back to when I'm having a tough time. Um, And it helps me having that North Star really helps me get through challenging periods that are really challenging, that make you question like, why am I killing myself like this? And like, (laughs) I could just give up, but I can't, like, I just can't. I've made a commitment to this and it's important to me. And I can't give up. And I learned that, I mean, this was the toughest challenge and I learned that, yeah, I can, I can, I can do it. I can do it. Like it's possible. Um, I don't know if any of that made sense.
0: (laughs) I think it all makes sense. And, uh, and I think it's truly beautiful words of advice. So thank you for sharing that. Um, Two more things, and, and then we'll sign off. Uh, this is a question I've started asking every guest, and, and I love it. It's a very revealing question, I find. First, what oh, no. are... Uh, no, no it's, it's actually... I think it's enjoyable for people to answer this question. So what are okay. three pieces of storytelling that you have seen, read, heard, watched, consumed in the last year that have influenced your work?
1: Okay, so anything by um, Zachary Canapari, Andrea Cooper. Um, they have two, oh, and, um, oh gosh, Jessica DeMock, I think is her name. They've produced two, um, documentaries that are on Netflix. One is called Flinttown and the other is called Fire in Paradise. I think their work is brilliant, like whole other level brilliant, And it, they constantly inspire me um so anything that they produce basically like i'm immediately glued to uh i guess so that i guess that's two that might cover.
0: yeah that's two we'll say that's two
1: okay <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we need um, one more
1: so you oh so you want a third i thought that yep. was gonna cover the answer okay what's the third <laughs> i was like are we done no i'm just kidding um hmm what's a third Okay, so actually, while I was producing this, I watched this documentary called For Sama. That's made by this um, pretty famous director whose name escapes me, but it um, aired on PBS and. um, It's a really, really moving story that I actually don't even I'm not going to do it justice if I try to describe it, but. yeah, it's a first person piece, um, very raw documentary. Uh, and that the both the storytelling, the access, I mean it was first person, so they were in a crisis and they were able to film that. Um, but the way it was edited together and then again, um, having those moments of like, humor in the middle of what was like a really tough uh story like really inspired me and reminded me like it can't be all sad all the time. Um, like it's really important to have those moments of levity. So I guess that would be my third one.
0: I, lo- I love that question. I, I Those are three. Uh, I've heard of Flinttown, but the other two I had not heard of. So I'm excited oh, to should. go and check those out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and finally, Reshma, I, I always like to end with that famous reporter's question, one I'm sure you've asked many times. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you wanted to add?
1: Oh, the famous reporter's question. I think we've covered it all. I just want to, I mean, especially if the audience for this is young journalists, um, you know, uh, I don't know as much about broadcast because I haven't really worked in broadcast, but visual journalists that are going into newspapers right now, like it is a really challenging field to get into. And I guess I just want to tell people not to give up, like just keep trying. It's, going to be hard and there are going to be moments where you question maybe and i'm i'm in that position now too because i'm also looking for a job <laughs> but um it's worth it just like just keep going just keep going believe in what you do believe in it really hard because you're going to need that to sustain you and don't give up
0: all right reish Kirpalani, thanks so much for joining me on the telling the story podcast
1: sure thanks for having me on
0: And the Telling the Story blog updates every Wednesday. The website is tellingthestoryblog.com. Rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. And check out my book, The Solo Video Journalist, Second Edition. Thank you to Jazar for the theme music. Thanks to Reshma Kirpalani for joining me as my guest. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Telling the Story podcast. We'll see you next time.